All right, I'm here with another edition of BK Talks, and actually, um, the topic in this episode might actually spawn another uh, potential topic that I'll try to cover in, uh, sometime this week. Uh, for this episode, I'm going to center my topic on the announced Supercard show. Uh, between New Japan and AEW, The Forbidden Door, uh, June 26th, 2022, in the United Center in Chicago, Illinois, home of my favorite team, the Chicago Bulls. All right, so as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Tony Khan announced the uh, joint venture between All Elite Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, The Forbidden Door. It's going to be a show, a joint supercard show held in Chicago, Illinois at the United Center, um, June 26th. And uh, there's a lot of, I mean, the, the message itself, the announcement itself was kind of anticipated in some circles of the online wrestling community or the internet wrestling community, as it's more commonly referred to. Um, so, the, so to some degree, the message was a little spoiled or leaked ahead of time, and thus uh, maybe some of the enthusiasm uh, might have been muted to some degree before it was even announced, because that was like the expected uh, announcement. And then uh, another aspect of this thing that I wanted to talk about is the fact that um, Tony Khan hyped this as a huge announce- announcement prior and uh of course when this information leaked out and people started talking about it they started talking about how uh first and foremost like the overuse of this uh hype tool of promoting something as a huge or a major or a big announcement part of the background noise new york city is the city that never sleeps <laughs> all right we have uh, a lot of criticism and critiques about him using uh, this as like a promotional or a hype tool because uh, he's gone to this well quite a bit. Uh, the other thing people talked about was the fact that an announcement like this would not necessarily be considered huge uh, to a casual, more general wrestling fan base. Um, so let me talk about those two things first. Before I get into my own opinions about the announcement itself and and the details behind that, well, no details really, but just the announcement itself on its surface. So I feel like I gotta offer up this uh, preamble almost every time I talk about pro wrestling because we're we live in this very segmented atmosphere as far as wrestling fans go, and everybody's trying to pick a side and back them to the hills almost like a political party when it's something that should be just entertainment Uh, but i don't consider myself to be a fan of any specific company i don't hate i don't have any biases towards i don't feel like one company's product is inferior and thus i'm gonna feel more biased and partial to the other i just like wrestling man and it's been this way since i was a little little kid in the mid late 80s but 
when I hear Tony Khan make these kinds of pronouncements and uh, do the things that he do that he does, I think about the fact that this is par for the course in pro wrestling. Like all these guys are promoters, they try to hype stuff up to feel like the most important thing, and you know it is what it is. Like. I say the same thing about the people who are crying about the WWE promoting Brock versus Roman as the greatest WrestleMania main event ever. Like, what do you really expect them to do? That, that's what they do. They promote stuff. Everybody in the history of this business has promoted stuff and hyped stuff. So I don't expect Tony Khan to be any different. Uh, I will say that maybe using this method could end up uh, diminishing the expectations over time if people feel like these announcements aren't necessarily groundbreaking now whether or not this announcement meets the standards for being considered something huge i think that's in the the eye of the beholder it's like one of those things that will resonate with certain types of wrestling fans more so than others um and i think that's the that's the thing you gotta probably take away from all of the announcements. Um, don't think about it from the traditional perspective as a casual, quote unquote, wrestling fan. That's that's another topic I'd like to talk about because this whole the whole reaction to this announcement led to some sub debate about casual fans and whether or not they exist or whatever. And that's one of these things that kind of seems like a recurring dialogue uh, but don't think about it from that perspective uh, don't think about it from like the, the perspective of game changers and seismic shifts and stuff like that the way that you would traditionally uh, view the usage of huge announcements or game changers and all that I think at this point you got to look at it and realize that Tony Khan is a certain type of wrestling fan who largely represents a community of a specific type of wrestling fan. The product and all the promotional stuff will be geared to that group, to that specific group. And I know a lot of people talk about, well, he's not going to grow the fan base. And I mean, I mentioned it with the ROH the topic in the last episode I did. I mean, that might be true, but maybe that's not necessarily what he's trying to do. Because, like, my own observation of the moves that he makes seems like he's not even really trying to go after that particular audience at all. So, I mean, if he's not going after that audience, it doesn't make sense to kind of use that as a metric because it doesn't seem like he's trying to go after that, that fan base. So I don't know that constantly mentioning that they're not going to grow the fan base in regards to these types of announcements is really the move because I mean obviously I don't think this kind of move is really geared to that it's geared to servicing the people that already already watch <laughs> uh, those are the ones who are going to be most familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling because uh, that AEW fan base is like a cross section of the I guess for lack of a better term the the super smarts, the people who were largely Ring of Honor fans, New Japan Pro Wrestling fans, people who liked Lucha Libre, who liked indie 
uh, wrestling is like that. That's where the I think, at least online, that's where a large percentage of that fan base actually comes from. So uh, they would 100% be stoked by an announcement like this, uh, more so than a guy who just flips his channel, flips his TV on, and watches wrestling and doesn't really do much outside of that. AKA, I guess, for some people, the quote-unquote casual fan. I'm gonna shoot some bell to the people who often mention that, oh, well, this doesn't help for the casual fans by saying this. I think some of that is a natural uh, response to a lot of wrestling fans on the AEW side of the agenda, uh, feeling like AEW is gonna be a challenger or a competitor uh, to the WWE and be a viable competitor to the WWE I think you do have to somehow bring over some of that audience because um, they, they hold the market share they hold the name recognition and brand awareness and all those things that contribute to them being the number one company in the industry um, so I think some of that stuff is kind of fair game um, but at the same time like, none of that should really matter if you're talking about just a topic like this that, that involves, like, a super show. So that brings me to the actual, my actual thoughts on the super show. I think it's a good idea. I think it's something that's not uncommon, like, in the history of pro wrestling. So uh, that's another thing I guess is important to note. Uh, the wrestling fans who act as if this is something that's unheard of are probably a little too young or aren't well versed or haven't studied a good deal of the of the history of cross promotional shows um, i mean companies used to do this stuff a while back um and i don't blame you if you're too young because if you're if you're below a certain age you probably came into this uh, fandom uh, knowing that the WWE was like the the lone company at the top and uh, they don't really do a lot of the cross promotional stuff uh, in general um, but if you're a little older I'm not even saying super old because I don't consider I'm I'm gonna be 40 I mentioned it from time to time in August I don't consider myself to be super old but I'm a I guess I'm in that elder statesman class <laughs> um, but I, I remember, like, when I was, like, six or seven, late 80s, Great Muda showing up in the NWA, WCW. And I remember in the early parts of the 90s with the uh, references to the New Japan Pro Wrestling. We got to see Vader and in the promotional clips. They showed stuff from his uh, matches in Japan. And they talked about his reputation abroad. And as you progress through the decade, you saw more interaction between the WCW and, and the NW, and, and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, you saw stuff with them in AAA Wrestling, mid-90s. Uh, oddly enough, I was watching Lucha Libre too as a kid, not knowing much Spanish, but flipping channels, came across it. And uh, my memory ain't failing me. It Many times the shows would coincide with uh, WCW Saturday Night, so it was like a case of flipping channels back and forth. So, <laughs> um, and I remember them promoting When Worlds Collide on both the Lucha Libre programming and the WCW programming. Um, 
go a little further into the decade, like towards the tail end of the decade, and you got uh, ECW with uh, Michinoku Pro doing stuff uh, featuring their talents on their on their programming, uh, their work uh, with FMW, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Um, the WWF tried to get into the act to a small degree w- with uh, uh, AAA had representatives in the 1997 Royal Rumble. They ended up having like a little small Spanish-speaking brand extension, Super Astros, um, of the WWE, WWF, back then. Um, Move into this 2000s, TNA forms, Ring of Honor forms, and over the course of their respective histories, they've also done promote uh, co-promotional stuff including supercard type stuff like with ring of honor a couple of years ago 2019 um but tna has worked with a bunch of different companies across the globe so this idea of working together isn't really unheard of and i can't remember is it pro wrestling usa was was like a joint venture between a few different companies in the middle middle of the 80s as the wwf was nationalizing um i think that was the collaborative effort that didn't really go over too too strongly uh, but companies have worked together um i know it's a business that doesn't necessarily uh <laughs> breed a lot of good long-term partnerships in that way because as you know competitors got a lot of cutthroat business type people uh but those these things have happened um, so it's not new um, or groundbreaking in that sense, but it, it, it is a big deal in terms of what the landscape was like in 2019, 2018, 2019, where uh, that Supercard of Honor show held here in New York City at Madison Square Garden was largely sold on the backs of the people who would go on to be the EVPs at the start of uh, All Elite Wrestling. Those guys were big parts of the Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling companies at that time. Um, You know, the the EVP splintered off, aligned with Tony Khan, and created All Elite Pro Wrestling that formed in, officially uh, in January of 2019. In April of 2019, that a that uh, New Japan Ring of Honor Supercard show happened in April. Uh, some mixed reaction to it. I enjoyed it, to be honest. I, I like with with a lot of the stuff that that's happened uh, with Ring of Honor in 2019 and on. I feel like things being terrible is kind of overstated. But I might be. I, I'm definitely the minority opinion in that. Uh, but yeah, the, the the guys who helped sell that event uh, at the Garden would go on to put on a pay-per-view event, the very first pay-per-view event, Double or Nothing, uh, the very next month in May of 2019. And, you know, rightfully so, I guess, in some de- to some degree, you'd have some hurt feelings between All Elite Wrestling and the aforementioned Ring of Honor and uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, Ring of Honor 
through the pandemic, uh, essentially was, I mean, before the pandemic, they kind of handcuffed, hand, not handcuffed, but kneecapped by the creation of All Elite Wrestling and a lot of the talents, the star talents, uh, were no longer there with them. And uh, the booking decisions and controversy helped to further erode the fan base. Uh, in the pandemic, I think, put them on the respirator uh, until the plug was finally pulled. Um, and then they were purchased by uh, Tony Khan, not by All Elite Wrestling. I think in the previous episode, I think I mentioned that AEW bought them. Oh, maybe I didn't, but just for clarity, uh, Tony Khan personally bought them. Um, and then New Japan, I think there was like some tensions on that side and uh, fans have always been clamoring like a lot of the domestic New Japan wrestling fans and the domestic all elite pro wrestling fans were wanting to see this forbidden door open up quote unquote and we started to see a little bit of that uh, with uh, certain acts uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling Associated acts appearing on All Elite Wrestling's TV and uh, other programming uh, such as Kenta. Um, we also, you know, there was a period of time, a long period of time through the pandemic where John Moxley was also uh, the uh, United States champion for New Japan Pro Wrestling and they did reference that uh, on commentary. But uh, one of his chief uh, rivals in that regard, Kenta, formerly Hideo Itami, uh, appeared on AEW. Um, and we've seen a lot of references to uh, like factions that all elite wrestlers belong to in New Japan. Um, like we've heard about. Uh, Lance Archer being a member of Suzuki Goon and we've seen Minoru Suzuki appear on uh, AEW television multiple times and uh, so I mean fans have well primarily all elite wrestling fans and the fans who enjoy uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling here in the United States have always wanted to see these two companies uh, do some kind of business together um, and uh, now I think it's time for me to kind of move on into the actual super show itself uh, I have to make this full disclosure I really don't follow modern day New Japan Pro Wrestling as closely um, there are times where I might catch uh, something you know via the the Jack Sparrow um, or I may catch stuff off of Roku, but that, that's outdated content. That stuff isn't really up to date or current. Uh, so I'm not really up on the comings and goings uh, directly. I lean on the knowledge and wisdom of other people who do watch New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, regularly and follow it more frequently than I do to get the uh, basic comings and goings and happenings uh, from that company. Uh, with that said, I do feel like it's a, it's a really good opportunity 
for AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling to put on a, a big show that will be heavily attended uh, in Chicago, Illinois. I mean, that, that city has been very uh, favorable to AEW. And you, you add this to that, and it's like another treat for that diehard fan base. The, the audience who's clued in, and it provides an opportunity for people like myself who aren't as clued in uh, to perhaps get to know some other wrestlers and, and uh, figures uh, from modern-day New Japan Pro Wrestling. As far as the dream match thing, I don't know if I'm really the guy to do that because there are people who watch far more content from New Japan Wrestling and uh, would know what pairings uh, would probably work the best. But just as a, as a lay person, I'll say, and as a lay person who watches a lot of other wrestling uh, and does know some of the people from New Japan Pro Wrestling from there, because like we got some tenured people there, uh, I'd like to see uh, Brian Danielson take on Tanahashi. That's, you know, dream match is like an overused term, uh, but I'd like to see that matchup. Uh, someone mentioned two possible matchups for CM Punk, one being against uh, Okada, who's, I guess you would say, is like the flagship of New Japan for wrestling, probably the biggest star that could come over here and... Uh, make the fans happy because I, I want to say that the uh, most highly anticipated matchup that a lot of people thought they were going to get at the Garden back in 2019 was a Kenny Omega Okada match. Now Kenny Omega is hurt, is hurt, so he might be a figure that might not be able to participate in any kind of in-ring stuff on the show, but I, I'm almost, I can't say almost certain, I, I, I'd like to believe that he'd appear at, on a show like this, um, perhaps setting up a uh, matchup or a story down the line. Um, they overtly mentioned on uh, Dynamite that, well, Switchblade, Jay White mentioned the stuff about the Bullet Club and the Undisputed Elite. Uh, Undisputed Elite is largely comprised of members who were members of the Bullet Club or had some kind of affiliation with the Bullet Club. So that's one of those dream scenarios for a lot for a lot of fans who became New Japan Pro Wrestling fans during the either the height of the Bullet Club or around the time that the Bullet Club was starting to take flight because a lot of these uh, modern day um, New Japan Pro Wrestling fans got on board, I would say like in a 2012, 2013, 2014 time period and that's hard for me to really say everybody got on like that but I'd say a lot of those guys have mentioned explicitly but that's when they started watching um, so for those guys to see the, the bullet club in some form still around and see a lot of their uh, I can't say offshoots but people who were formerly associated with the group uh, interact with one another would probably be a big uh, major appeal for those fans. Um, but yeah, I went away off the track <laughs> with the CM Punk thing. I mean, really back in. But uh, the other scenario that a lot of people, that some people have brought up was CM Punk versus Kenta. Um, Kenta being the, the guy who 
is known for innovating or creating the go-to-sleep finisher that CM Punk has utilized. So it would be like a go-to-sleep versus go-to-sleep. Um, I would like to see, and this is another piece of controversy, uh, but I'd like to see how the women's wrestlers uh, get a chance to be a part of the show, how they're figured into the show. Um, because, uh, you know, in modern day pro wrestling, you can't really get away with not featuring women on a major wrestling card. Although New Japan wrestling, pro wrestling does not have a women's division. Um, that, but the parent company for them, Bushi Road, they own Stardom, which is an all women's Japanese wrestling promotion. Uh, but from what I have heard from someone that I trust, there might be some uh, difficulties there because all elite pro wrestling, all elite wrestling, uh, has like a working agreement with Tokyo Joshi Pro, uh, which supplied a lot of the Joshi Joshi talent that AEW utilizes. And Tokyo Joshi Pro is known as like a rival or a competitor to Stardom, uh, so that might cause a little difficulty there. Plus, I think Stardom has a, a show that same day um, but yeah I would like to see how the, the women of AEW feature prominently on this card uh, they have Joshi wrestlers but it doesn't necessarily have to be limited limited to Joshi wrestlers uh, and I also like to see how some of the New Japan strong uh, talents are figured into the show if they're figured into the show at all Man strong. Sorry, sorry for the background noise again. New York City is a city that never sleeps. I had to take a little uh, short intermission uh, to go and buy a New York City delicacy, uh, beef patty with cheese and cocoa bread. <laughs> um, but yeah, New Japan Pro New Japan ah, New Japan New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong is a. Uh, TV series featuring, I would say, primarily uh, like the domestic uh, talents uh, affiliated with or associated with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I, I want to say that this stuff is mainly a West Coast thing. Um, and if I'm speaking out of turn, uh, forgive me. Like I said, I'm not really up on modern day uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I want to say that they have like an LA dojo, so that's out West. And uh, a lot of the talents that are featured on that show uh, seem to be guys who come from the the indies, uh, and a lot of those guys that I've, from what I've seen, are like West Coast indie guys, like guys who they might be from the East Coast, but they've kind of cut their teeth in the West Coast as far as the indie scene goes, and guys from their LA dojo, and then some other um, guys from the New Japan Pro Wrestling roster. Again, I'm, if I'm speaking out of turn, uh, forgive me. Um, I'd like to see if any of those guys are featured. Um, I'm guessing that there's probably going to be some big battle royal type deal where you get like a cross section of the undercard of both companies, New Japan and AEW. <clears throat> um, I'd also like to see if you're going to have any. 
title matches, like inter-promotional title matches, where you might have a guy from one company challenging someone, uh, a title holder from a, a different company. That'll make for an interesting dynamic as well. Um, but that's probably the furthest extent of my anticipation, because like I said, I don't really know the modern day New Japan pro wrestling roster as deeply as some others do. <clears throat> and uh, I'll be taking a step back and then you know, leaning on the more seasoned uh, viewers uh, for, for information in that regard. But overall, I think uh, this is a good idea. Once you uh, try to get out of the whole game changer or the big announcement uh, discussion and debate. You know, you, at, at its core, it's a it's a cool idea, um, and I, honestly, it makes for it possible it possibly interesting matchups that you probably wouldn't see otherwise. Um, now I think I gotta wrap this thing up. All right, I guess the best way to close this episode out is to talk about uh, like one other element of this discussion about the Super Show that I really didn't like, and that's the uh, this need that some fans feel uh, to try to rain on it and rain on the enthusiasm that a portion of wrestling fans might feel. Uh, and I kind of get why people want to do it. Uh, because a lot of the people who are excited are uh, super hardcore AEW fans, and some of those guys can be insufferable, uh, especially, you know, flash, rewind back like two, three weeks around WrestleMania time. A lot of those guys are talking junk about WrestleMania and trying to rain on the enthusiasm that a lot of fans had going into WrestleMania and, and trying to downplay any kind of momentum or in, in excitement and enthusiasm coming out of WrestleMania uh, and I've seen it when it, look at the look at the timeline the night of Supercard of Honor uh, Ring of Honor show where people were saying things like uh, Tony Khan spit in the face of Vince McMahon the day before his major event uh, or look at the, the real fan casual fan tweet uh, where someone was basically uh, putting down uh, WWE fans or casual fans for being excited about Cody Rhodes and his return uh, and also citing the, the big matches that were happening uh, like I think one, I want to say the following week like Samoa Joe versus Suzuki uh, you had the big Red Dragon versus Jurassic Express matchup you had the uh, Hangman Page versus Adam Cole, uh, Texas Deathmatch that week. Uh, so, I mean, I understand that this kind of thing feels like a tit-for-tat Hatfield versus McCoy type thing. Uh, but at the core, man, it, it's not really something that I think fans of pro wrestling should be trying to downplay or diminish. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing since sliced bread uh, to be entertaining um, and doesn't have to be this game-changing 
super event that will revolutionize the business to be interesting. Uh, and I guess, <laughs> um, I guess I got to leave a caveat there. I guess uh, the people who are using this show to try a fire at the WWE are no better. Uh, but just overall, I just wish the fans would just get along, uh, let people enjoy things. That's kind of a universal message and thing. We need to just be better about this kind of thing. Uh, and that's about it.